We are Sarah and Laura. We are doulas, mothers, women, wives, and entrepreneurs. We love a lot of things. The gym, food, coffee, health, kombucha, our families, and our friends. We are so committed to being authentic, honest, and vulnerable and showing up here just the way we are. We promise to never positive wash anything, but please know that we are wholeheartedly committed to radically thriving. With this podcast, we hope to connect on a deeper level and talk about hard stuff. Ultimately, we want women and mothers to know deeply who they are and what makes them feel happy. Whether you're getting into a bath or taking us on a walk with you. Or maybe you're commuting to work. We are honored that you chose our podcast to listen to. How is poppy life? (laughs) I mean, it's probably good that we put a disclaimer on here that there might be barking. There may be me yelling at a puppy <laughs> in the house. And you may um, just leave. At some I may point. just leave at some point. So, so basically you're <laughs> right now. Yeah. It's, you know, I you have know. struggled just got a puppy. in the last week and a half with talking about it on our stories, because I think it's rude because people have babies and I, there are so many comparisons and I know everybody hates when people do that and say that a puppy's just like having a baby because it's not, but it's like a condensed version. But I do feel like it's fair yeah. to say it because they're already fighting. Keep talking though. You have <laughs> also already been a mother. Yeah. So it's not like you're, I think where it frustrates people is when yeah. you're having a baby for the first time and then their friends who have puppies are like, I know just how you feel because I have a puppy. Right. Yeah. So maybe yes. it's more fair for me to say it because I've had kids myself, but yeah, uh, it's, I mean, I would give it about a 6.5 out of 10 right now. That's <laughs> okay. what I would rate it. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah, you're on the upper half. Testimonial, but uh, it's acceptable. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's oh, so cute. I'm going to get nothing, her, but you can eat than puppies. Okay, so we have a very special guest here with us today. Her name is Jenny, and she is a VBAC, so a vaginal birth after cesarean professional. So she's a VBAC pro. She knows so many things. She lives in the United States. So we're going to talk a little bit today about the way things are a little bit different there uh, than here in Canada. And we're going to get into all the questions that you guys have about VBACs. And I think we've got some good news for you today. So hi, Jenny. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So do you want to start right in with telling us about what what is it like there in the United States? What's the culture like? And then we can maybe talk a bit about what it's like here in terms of VBACs. Yeah, and you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll pepper in a little bit about my story okay. um, and because part of the inaccessibility of VBAC is what led me to do what I do now. And it's changed, but it's a little bit of a journey. So I've been a mom for 17 years now. Um, my first two babies were C-sections. Uh, I came from a C-section family. I was literally like a C-section advocate for a while. I think I was, I had had C-sections and I was like, everybody should have a C-section. I know now that that was more of like a defense mechanism for me because I wanted to be like, I own this. Like, I love that this happened to me. And so you guys should love it too. So I had my two first C-sections. What was interesting about the second one, uh, without getting too far into it, is it was a scheduled C-section. I didn't have any informed consent. So when I had my first, it was preeclamptic, there was induction, it was an emergency C-section, no doubt about it. Like heart rate down in the 60s, it was an okay birth experience, no trauma. When I went to go for my second pregnancy, I asked, do I push this baby out? Do I get this baby cut out? Like, what do I do here? And the doctor, whose name I shall not mention, (laughs) still practices, said, let me put it to you this way. It's safer for the mom to have a vaginal birth, and it's safer for the baby to have a C-section, and most moms do what's best for the baby. And so with nothing else, I I didn't even know the word VBAC at that point. I was like, okay, let's schedule the C-section. That whole practice, I don't know if you guys run into this. I assume you would. A lot of what I see is universal, but... I was in one of those big practices that had a bunch of OBs and we call them like a C-section track. Like you just get on it. And then a lot of the things that they do just automatically lead to that, which is exactly what happened. Um, 
obviously I was planning one, but this, the philosophies are still the same. So they're like, oh, your baby's so big, we should move up your due date. And everything was about like the ease of the C-section. So I ended up getting my due date moved up several times. Uh, didn't know anything about birth. So I was like, awesome. I get to meet my baby sooner. Like there's, it was just all good news for me. <laughs> then when I scheduled the C-section, they gave me the option to deliver at 39 weeks or like 38 weeks in like two days. And I was like, I want to meet my baby sooner. So I'll pick 38 weeks. Long story long, uh, he was born way too early. He had to be in the NICU for like 10 days. Uh, he's a little boy. We know his doulas, they're kind of lazy breathers sometimes if they're born too early. Um, for whatever reason, they're more likely to be. Uh, so he was in the NICU for 10 days and it was a very eye-opening experience for me. I come from a family of doctors and nurses. And like I said, I was a C-section baby. So a very blind devotion to the medical community from my family. So it was the first time I was like, how did we get here? How did the doctor lead me to this point? I felt guilty. Like, why didn't I take more ownership of the situation and understand what was happening before just making decisions? All those feelings. So I got pretty, um, all I knew after that one was I wasn't going to schedule another C-section. I was going to, so I was like, I'm just not going to schedule another C-section. I didn't know what are the options were, but that was not going to happen. So when I got pregnant again, like six years later, um, I'd had two C-sections and I started Googling things like unscheduled C-section, showing up to labor while pushing, <laughs> like all the things that I was like, how have other people did? It was literally like my first little baby steps into like, what does it look like to, to what rights do I have as a birthing person? Like, what can they let me do? Like it was starting from the bottom. So in that circle and in those Google searches, I started to see that VBAC word peripherally. Um, I had a couple really instrumental people um, that I was just lucky to know at that time that was like, hey, do you know about this word VBAC? And then I just jumped straight in. As soon as I learned about it, uh, I just jumped <laughs> both feet in. There's so much to talk about there um, in my emotional state and my readiness. And like before I made that decision to be back, kind of what was driving me to do it. I would say at that point, it was about control and like sticking it to the man and like doing what I could, like I'm going to do whatever I want. I didn't have the full picture, but I was fighting for it. So it was really difficult to find a VBAC after two provider. This is back in 2010, actually 2012. In 2010, uh, our American College of Gynecology and Obstetrics released an updated stance on VBAC that said, based on this guy's report um, that accumulated all of this VBAC studies from across the world. So it was an American thing. They studied all across the world, but the American College of Gynecology was like, okay, based on this, VBAC is the safe and appropriate choice for one or two people with C-sections with... How do I say the people with one or two previous C-sections? So that happened in 2010. I was pregnant in 2012. VBAC was starting to become like a buzzword. Um, some providers were like, oh, we do VBAC. But when I would say, but what about VBAC after two? They'd be like, oh, no, 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 we don't do that. Even though they were linked together in the announcement that they're both okay, but it was much harder to find a VBAC after two provider. So I fought and I found, I literally interviewed six or seven different providers at least, which is why I do so many like posts about choosing the providers. I became very aware of the vibe I would get, whether it would be like, well, well, as long as this doesn't happen and this doesn't happen and that doesn't happen and baby doesn't do that and the wind's not blowing this way or the people that were like, yeah, of course you can, like next. And so I, I found someone that was compliant. Um, it was still kind of dicey, not a lot of people enthusiastically supporting VBAC after two. Um, I delivered with him and uh, truly long story short, I got my V back after two, but I was in such fight mode that I felt like it was really traumatizing to me. So anyone that follows my stories knows I had like my first traumatic birth was my V back after two because I went in there like ready to fight and I had all, everything I needed to know logically. I could have been a V back OB maybe, I don't know, <laughs> but I could have told them any stat, but I was not mentally prepared for what I call like the bigness of labor. And I certainly was not prepared to be like emotionally vulnerable and like 
in my right mind, I call it just kind of going with the flow. I was very hyper controlling. Like I have to get every detail buttoned up or they're going to take this for me. So I ended up be backing. I really, despite myself. Um, and it was a really complicated time for me. Another thing I like to bring awareness to is after my be back after two, I wasn't like, yeah, there was no pictures of me <laughs> like that. I was like, what just happened? Did I even like that experience? Like, what, what, like C-section was definitely easier than that. Um, and that's how I felt at first. And it was so complicated. I had, um, my brother had died like the year before and I had just come out of uh, an ectopic pregnancy right before my VBAC after two. So you can see how like everything was very compartmentalized and I was just in like warrior mode. Mm -hmm. So after that birth, I did a lot of, uh, not therapy, but talking to birth professionals, I did something, uh, do you guys have birthing from within stuff up there? Mm -hmm. Like providers, we had a story, um, someone locally, she's just brilliant. She would walk people through what she called story sharing sessions. It's something that Pam England with birthing from within trains people to do. Uh, but I went through one of those sessions where we really like talked about how I felt during that birth and, and why it was so traumatizing. And it really connected the dots for me that what was traumatizing was how I felt during the birth. It wasn't what happened at the birth. It wasn't how the baby was out of my body. Um, it wasn't even my birth team because I had, my husband was really supportive. So was my doula, but I hadn't done like the inner work to, to feel good during such a big process. So all of that happened. Um, I, it's so much in my past, <laughs> so much history. I don't know. I don't want to like totally lay it all on you guys, but between that first feedback and my second feedback, which I consider like my opus birth, which is like a musical term, <laughs> but I took everything I had learned and applied it to that and had this beautiful, um, unafraid, awesome birth. And in between the scary birth, I'll call it, and that beautiful birth, I was a doula. I was a ICANN of Phoenix chapter leader. I was teaching VBAC classes. Um, I was doing all kinds of things to, to really learn and get to know the community and get to know other people that walked the VBAC path. And I saw so many differences. People that would come back and say, I had a VBAC, but it was traumatizing like me. People that would come back and say, I had a C-section, but you know what? It was okay. Like I had the right people around me and it was okay. I feel really good about the birth. And all of that experience personally and then professionally through the support groups in the community and, and serving as a doula shaped the VBAC Academy like philosophy and that I want to teach people that it's safe, of course, because no one moves past that bottom of the triangle, right? If they don't feel like it's safe and they're safe, everything kind of crumbles if you try to add it on top. So I make sure they know it's safe. I give them all the stats, but then I put a lot of focus on how people feel and setting up their birth to feel a certain way, knowing that VBAC is a little bit harder than your average vaginal birth. It can feel like you're fighting the whole time. So what can we do as VBAC birthers to protect our headspace and set ourselves up for success for actually feeling good, no matter how the baby leaves our body. So as of now, 2022, um, VBAC still very easy to get, at least in Arizona. Uh, VBAC after two is now, I would say, even easy to get. VBAC after three is the new um, black cloud <laughs> over like that group. Uh, we know, and we can talk about this as we go, like we know some of the stats, but not a ton. Um, but it's just a prog, it's a progression, right? So VBAC, we had to get that. And then we had to get VBAC after two. And now we're working to just say like, Hey, let us pick if we've had previous C-sections, just let us pick. So that's all over the place, but how I got here and, um, the climate, the other thing I'll say, is Arizona is really lucky. We have a very strong birth professional presence, especially in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we have a couple other cities across the United States, places like Portland, Oregon, New York City, Los Angeles, California. Uh, those places are known for having higher evidence-based birth practices, more doulas. We know that more doulas usually kind of call to the responsibility of the local OBs and midwives to elevate their care because the doulas are like, hey, that's not right. So we're, we're really lucky in that we have a lot of support, but there are some parts of the United States where people have to, they still have 
VBAC bands or they have to drive hours to a neighboring town in order to just get their VBAC. Um, it's all kinds of stuff. So it's definitely a mixed bag based on where you're at. Lucky and Phoenix um, still get a lot of really hard messages from other places where they're just like, do you have any advice? They won't let me do it. Like they said that the hospital won't accept me. The OB won't let me try. So got a lot of work to do. Yeah. What was, so you said your first VBAC was 2012. When was your second? Mm. 2015. Oh, okay. 2014. I mix it up because her, her birth was 91514. Oh. So mix it up in my head. But yeah, 91514 um, was my second one. And it was so cool. And it was like, while it was happening, I was like, you did it, Jenny. <laughs> you beat your fears. <laughs> like it was so rewarding. Um, and it's just so fueling for me to, to help other people feel that way. So I've just attended in the last month, um, three VBACs. And um, when you were talking about your first VBAC, I was just thinking about how much additional work you have to do to get yourself through your physical dilation, but also, I mean, we can't separate your mind and body, right? So there's just so much mm -hmm. more, like you're really having your first labor, your first birth, even though it's your third child. And there's just so much more to um, letting your body soften and allow. And you're right, like birth should be happening back here, right? In your liminality brain, mm -hmm. right? Where we're not in our prefrontal cortex. And you you articulated that right. so well where, you know, you're all just in your type A brain of prefrontal cortex, trying to sit, decide everything, manage everything. And, mm -hmm. and I get that, right? Because we, we need to be in that brain ahead of time to manage our care providers, because let's face it, our care providers are doing yes. things. But then, you know, to have a space where you can just be in your body and allow your body to relax. Like when you're talking and coaching people through their first vaginal birth, like what do you say to them now in terms of the mindset piece to, you know, help them out? One of the things that I really got this as a doula, this is not VBAC specific, but to your point, VBAC birthers are first time pushers usually. Um, and so you really have to coach them to, and I'm, I think I'm analytical and kind of like sciencey in my brain. So I try to give them the, this is what it's going to look like. This is how you can prepare. So one of the ways I do that is we talk about the big emotions of birth. So I always talk, tell me if you guys see this too. So when I was a doula, I would always see like emotional breakdowns in between transitions. So like as they shifted from like early to active labor and then active to transition and then transition to pushing, they're always not always, but many times seem to be like a burst of like, oof, this is hard. Like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, this is a lot different now. Like, oh, they get kind of like a bubble of fear. I, I equate it to like when you're running or exercising and you get to that place where you're about to gas out and you're like, oh, I could quit right now because everything hurts and I hate what I'm doing. Or I know that in five minutes that's going to pass and I'm going to be back in my like groove and I'm just going to be running again. So one of the practical things I teach them is that when you get those emotional bursts or breakthroughs, it's it's most often because you're getting a big hormonal dump that's preparing you to enter the next stage of labor. So you're feeling that that spike, which is everyone can recognize what hormones do to our brains. We feel it the entire time we're pregnant. We feel it when we're having our period. So I tell them like, you're having a big burst. This is a physiological thing. Uh, when that happens, I want you to tell your person that you're with your birth team, your supporter, like I'm having one of those moments, let's work it through with you and get you in a comfortable position to start coasting in the next phase. So we talk about these emotional breakdowns and what that does is even if they don't have traditional breakdowns like that, like in between each gate, they'll have most likely some sort of emotional breakdown and they'll have a, a toolkit for what to do. Okay. I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. So I need to tell my, you need to articulate that I'm having one of those fearful moments, Jenny, that we talked about. And then I jump in with our, with our act. I'm like, Oh, this is great. This means that you're progressing to the next place. You have nothing to be afraid of. Let's try a different position. This just means that the baby moved to a place that you need to do something different now to get them lower. So I just try to work them through that moment of fear. Those were the little things that I wasn't prepared for during my VBAC um, is those big bursts of emotions. Um, I was like, what do I do with all of this? It just made me want to shut the whole thing down. Mm -hmm. um, but I teach them how to get through that and know that it will pass. Um, 
that's probably the big one is the emotional piece. And then of course, before, like the before work is really where it's at. Mm -hmm. Um, working through the fears, I always say the worst thing that can happen is not what you're most afraid of happening. Cause everyone has something that they're like, I really hope that doesn't happen during birth, but if it happens and you don't have a plan for it. So I don't encourage people to make plans for every little thing that would be neurotic and, you know, it'd probably put you in the wrong head space. But if there's something that my clients are wrestling with specifically, like, I really hope my water doesn't break first. I really hope I don't need an epidural. I really hope that I don't go into labor at night. Cause I know that's going to be really hard. And it's going to remind me of last time when I was so tired, we really go through, okay, so what if that does happen? What will we do? And that way it's not, it's just kind of systematically taking things that could be a little landmine in their labor, which is so common for VBACers and we make a plan for it in advance. Yeah, that's great. No, that's, that's amazing. And that totally makes sense. I feel like the amount of landmines that there is for a VBAC compared to a low risk birth, that's where like the prep is so different. It is. And I I feel like people are in their heads so much more in a VBAC because they're thinking through, was that pain normal or was that uterine pressure or uterine pain pain at the incision? Um, Just for context, was your first VBAC um, unmedicated when you're talking about the different fear points? Oh, I love this. So that's the other funny thing about my birth story is I birthed in like four different hospitals with four different providers in like four different ways. So I had like the emergency C-section, the scheduled C-section. I had a medicated be back after two for which I demanded an epidural at like four centimeters. Again, you know, this is doulas. It was all the fear. It was like that moment when it was starting to build up. And instead of just going with it, I was like, like locked up. Um, so that I had an epidural with a third and even though it progressed kind of normally, uh, no, it progressed normally at front. Then I stalled at eight centimeters for 12 hours. And that entire time the nurses were like, that baby's too big. We'll see if you can push that baby out. Like it's probably going to be a C-section. So just so much happening with that one. My fourth one, my fourth baby that was born unmedicated, like, and it was not even a need. Like I could, I stayed aware enough, um, the entire time to know that this is passing. This is just intensity. Like I had done the work to rewire how I experienced birth so that it was no longer scary to me. And then I didn't even feel myself needing an epidural, which is such a contrast. I'm like, don't, I'm not even trying to toot my own horn because I was like such the opposite of that with my first feedback after two. And it was so silly because I had, do you guys have birth story? Um, Like it was on the TLC network or something. Did you guys ever watch that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I like binge watched it when I was planning my VBAC after two. And I would like literally sit there like, oh, they're just having a hard time because they got their epidural too early. And like, they're not in the right position. Like I haven't even had a vaginal birth yet, but I was so in that planning mode. I thought I knew everything about what to expect with VBAC. And so when I got there, I was like, oh, but it was a, it was a mess, but I figured it out and I figured out how to do it in a more peaceful way going forward. And that's, that's the goal for others too, especially type A ambitious kind of go-getters. I see that yeah. a lot with VBACs and maybe yeah. because they have the courage yeah. to say like, wait a minute. And we were the minority. Um, but a lot of times we're hi- hyper type A hyper controlling. Um, and the big goal is to get that, to let go before birth and to know that this could go any way at like, I can't even help them control what's going to happen. Like, I'm like, we just got to see what happens and see how it unfolds, which is so scary. That's so interesting that you say that. Um, I have someone in mind where I'm thinking about the, like the kind of the mentality around that, the amount of work you have to do to make that 180 from a C-section over to, um, you know, all the, the, uh, the goals you have for yourself. And then do you find with, with clients, I'm assuming now you've been doing this for so many years that you've got like, you're, they're having their first V back and then their second V back that just like yourself, they, they have a number of expectations and goals for the first one. And then it's like, it's almost so much of a distance to travel from a cesarean to a vaginal delivery that it's almost like they're not able to get everything they want in that first birth. And then they want another one for another shot. That does happen a lot. I hear a lot of people, 
um, saying that they want another birth for another shot. And I really recommend, I recommend against that just because, and I always say like your baby could turn into a starfish, <laughs> like put their hands and feet across every side of your uterus and just refuse to exit out of the vagina. And that would be no fault of our own. Like there's just things that happen. Um, on this note, the C-section goal is not zero, it's 10%, 10 to 15%. So we know that there's a balance to sometimes C-sections are necessary, which is why it's not a good practice to say V-back or bust. If I don't get a V-back, everything has gone to hell. And like nothing is good about this birth. The other thing I try to set up with people is what else are you looking forward to in this V-back besides literally just pushing your baby out of your vagina. And most of the times people are like, I want to see what it feels like to have contractions. I want to see, I want to labor at home. I want to know that um, I was making the decisions and that like, I understand every decision that was happening. So we try to find some soft goals um, instead of putting all of our eggs in the basket of pushing the baby out. And that helps set a really good foundation if there was a C-section that became necessary um, as a doula, I can go back and follow up with like, of course, that was disappointing. Um, and there are some parts of this it, that we were able to achieve and you did really good. And it was so impressive watching you do that. Um, and this is just what happens sometimes. So I feel like a lot of what I do as a VBAC pro and VBAC doula is like reframe stuff for people um, so that they can see what is literally like their fault, which is almost nothing um, versus what is just the landscape of birth and the fact that we're birthing within systems that we sometimes are set up to fail in. So it's like this weird, you can't ever just let go. It's anyway, ramble. Um, I, wanted, going with that. <laughs> I wanted to share with you a little bit um, about some stuff here and, and get your-, your I would love to hear it, yes. Um, so when you were talking about the cesarean track, um, you know, we work a lot with midwives and with OBs, but recently like, you will maybe you want to speak to this like two of your hardest experiences in the last year were actually advocating for cesareans mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. uh, in the yeah in the last year i've had clients who've had epidurals that didn't work and they were experiencing a lot of pain and that i compare it to suffering they were suffering for hours they were suffering i love that word yeah. because that is the difference they were suffering yeah. they were not getting mm -hmm. through it they were not thriving of course they were they were slowly dying like when you sign up for the yeah. train and then there's pain and there's not progression it is it was like watching people be tortured and the ob's are prioritizing vaginal births which is obviously what we want like that's great i can say with confidence like our local hospital anyways in my experience they really do a lot to make vaginal births happen, even if clients are awesome. for C-sections. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just get a little dicey in that moment. Yeah. Cause then it's like, what's the goal here? Yeah. The goal was exactly. to force C-sections and the goal is also was not to force vaginal right. birth. Right. Like, Almost like they're yeah. really concerned with their stats all of a sudden. Yeah. And so then it's become very much about the hard goal. But that being said, mm -hmm. also one of the hardest VBACs I've ever done they want to be back done on their terms. So mm -hmm. they might want you to be induced. If you're not going to be induced mm -hmm. and they told you to, they're going to be mad. They're going to throw some things mm -hmm. at you. Dead baby card. Dead baby card all the time. And uh. also like obviously continuous fetal monitoring is just an absolute train wreck. And mm -hmm. if you are having a VBAC and you're not turning that down while well, you're unmedicated, Obviously, if you get an mm -hmm. epidural, it's a different story, but if you're remaining unmedicated and you're trying to constantly monitor that fetus's heart rate, you're just asking for trouble. Like mm -hmm. that for me is an automatic turn down and having that argument with the OBs, you have to argue with every resident until you get to the top and then finally have the conversation with them. And then they leave you alone for a little bit, but it's like every time they're coming in the room, they're interrupting that oxytocin flow. Oh yeah. Horrible. Okay. I have a question for you. How do they treat fetal monitoring um, standardly there? So is there a difference between how they do fetal monitoring for a VBAC versus a first-time birther? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do they, do they require constant fetal monitoring? For a VBAC? That yeah. would be their absolute yeah. preference. Their preference. Yes. And that's the same with. Yeah. Um, you deal with that too. Practicing in hospitals. Yeah. Well. Yeah. 
And there's no evidence, you guys know that, but just in case yeah. anyone listening doesn't, there's zero evidence that continuous fetal monitoring changes the outcome for babies or moms. Um, it's just that we see every little blip. So another thing I do for VBackers is I say, it would be uncommon for me to go to a birth where there wasn't a heart decel. Um, so we talk through literally like the different stages of, I'm like, uh, low kind of issue you know, maybe your nurse will wander in and be like oh like that baby we'll see let's just move your positions and see what happens i was like level two maybe someone else comes in with them level three maybe they give you some oxygen level four you'll know it because everyone will come in and they'll switch you to your like hands and knees and it will be that's when you know that there's something serious but all those other little times that's just the default and the problem with continuous fetal monitoring is we see every little blip even though our hearts like as i'm talking getting excited it gets all crazy yes. and as i'm stopping and listening it starts to slow down so there's a lot of variability that you guys know is totally normal but it's often used against us at least in the united states um, for reasons of c-section so one last question on fetal monitoring do you guys have all the options like waterproof bluetooth like yeah. walk around okay cool yeah. that's if a big they, help sometimes, great. sometimes they don't work or they're all yeah. like, oh, uh-huh, that's true yeah or like they yeah not flying yeah, yeah. so then so you guys Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so you have to um, go up. Would you guys fight the fetal monitoring on site? Like when you're with that birth, you have to say like, she doesn't want it. Or how do you guys normally get past that? So we're at a point now where we really, our our preference, and I would say we're at about 99% for this, is that if you are birthing with us, you have taken our prenatal class. We have had about two clients not do that. And they'll say, oh, I did the Bradley method. I did hypnobirthing. I did this prenatal class with mom and natural. And like, those are all great. I actually love all three of those. Um, but somehow birthday comes and I'm like, we haven't had the conversation that we needed to have, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, yeah when we in the prenatal class and we know that what we're talking to them about, we will say, these are some questions that you need to have with your OB ahead of time or your midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's one that we're hopefully having ahead of time. But as you know, that's it's smart. who's on call, right? So it's the middle yep. of the night. We've got in this hospital here, we have uh, 22, 26 OBs. I mean, you might have two on overnight. So, I mean, the chance yeah. of getting yours is so slim. And so, yeah, you're having that conversation all over again. You're getting in there yeah. immediately. Like, we'd like to take a blood draw. We'd like to get you on an IV and we'd like to get you um, on constant fetal heart rate monitoring. So usually you're uh-huh. having a conversation in early labor instead of active, which is, you know, or we've got there later and, you know, it's just a whole <sighs> level of tension. It's not good. Yeah, it's not good for the vibe. No, <laughs> it's not, not good for the not, vibe. Not, I feel like that leads to um, like the second you're, you're feeling fear, you're feeling more pain. And then uh-huh. you're in a spot where you're like, I actually think I do need an epidural, even when that wasn't your plan. Um, and Absolutely. then I've not won that battle, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like if you have an epidural, you're having constant, right? Yeah. Feel hurt. Yeah. 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 Yep. All sounds very familiar. Yes, the Canadians are sounding very much like the United States of Americans. Yes. Um, so the other thing <laughs> I want to tell you about was, um, so I feel like sometimes when you're in this track, like you called it a hard goal. And I love that, that you said that about having soft goals as well, because you're right. That's so important. That piece what you said, like they want to feel what it's like to go into labor on their own. They want to labor at home. They want to know what it feels like to have a contraction. Those are really great things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things Laura and I have come to the conclusion, um, uh, after a, seeing a number of forceps and episiotomies, um, mm-hmm. is that if it was, and this is obviously never a decision we're, we're making, but we don't make any decisions as you know, as a doula, you don't yeah. the client. Yeah. Um, personally, given the option between a cesarean and forceps and an episiotomy, I think we would both choose a cesarean. Yeah, it would, it would I mean, not be an easy choice. It wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't, especially because yeah. I have seen one OB do a beautiful job of forceps. He did mm. one forcep and then guided gently and then used his hand for the other side, no episiotomy. And it was, it was perfect. It was like a watching, yeah. movie, right? So I have that yeah. one in mind as the gold standard. And I remember the first time, Laura, you said this to me, I was like, what? Yeah. And then I witnessed three more horrific 
uh, forceps where mm -hmm. there's just so much traction on they're the baby's feet on the hospital bed. Yeah. Like they're putting their foot I've up seen. and yeah. then pulling. I've, I've seen that. Yeah. And it was bad. I yeah. was like traumatizing to me as a doula. I had to go to therapy afterward yeah. because yeah. it was so scary and dramatic. And, and I don't mean dramatic, like casually, it was awful. So yeah, just hearing you talk about forceps, we don't use forceps very often. And here, I think I've seen out of all of my births, maybe twice more often they use the, the vacuum. Do you guys use vacuums? Uh, no, a lot so of no. You don't use the vacuum. Yeah. No vacuum, only forceps. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, both are, both are hard to watch. They yeah. always talk about this like application. I don't think we'd be able to get a good application on the head. Yeah. Well, but, that's weird to say, considering other countries do it regularly. Know, like, right? um, so yeah, the, the, <laughs> like when there's, when there's trauma, to, like torticollis would be like a minor one, but like when there's like, you know, and that's hurting the baby. And then also mm -hmm. we've seen women where like you're a year or two out and you're still experiencing pain from your episiotomy. So like for both baby and mother, yeah. mm -hmm. it feels like, but sometimes you're in this track of, I don't want to see section so badly that mm -hmm. I can't see what's right in front of me because um, you know, you don't want to take a baby home to a toddler that you're going to be chasing around with another C-section, you know, how hard that recovery is. And so you really are trying to avoid that at all costs. And in a mm -hmm. way it can't be all costs. It has to be some, so like, how do you talk through that new question? And another thing that I hear with this a lot is Pitocin. So a lot of people had really gnarly Pitocin experiences with their first attempt at vaginal birth. I, and actually, so they hard pass. I did want to <laughs> ask you about that. So when you stalled yeah. for eight hours at, or at, at eight centimeters, were you given Pitocin? Isn't it weird that I don't remember? I don't think I <laughs> no, was. it's not weird. Yeah, isn't it? Like as a doula, it's so weird to me that like, I don't remember more of my birth story, but I disassociated like crap oh, in that. Like I was a different person sitting inside my brain in a chair. Like what is happening to me? They <laughs> like totally unconnected. The conversation. They're like, we're just yeah. going to give you just mm -hmm. a little nip of Pitocin. You've got an idea. Yeah. Anyways, we're just, and of course nobody knows yeah. whether like they you, did or didn't. Unless you got your chart. Right. After. Yeah. After the fact, which right. we often do, like we do coaching calls with clients who are trying to process, kind of like you talked about the storytelling. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll often ask them ahead of time. What's that? I said, I'm going to go back and look. I haven't yeah, thought about I, that I in forever, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I often ask but, them like, the paperwork from their OB or their. Yeah. Movie. Smart. So how I treat that is it's kind of like that landmine conversation that I was talking to you about before. I actually have a whole like sheet that says, it's like a, but what about sheet? So like, this is how you're planning your birth. And I'm sure it's all like sunshine and rainbows and everything. Like you go into labor at eight o'clock in the morning after a nice rest, <laughs> and a wholesome breakfast and like your labor kicks in slowly. You can do some crafts. Like everyone's hoping for that, but sometimes it's the middle of the night. Sometimes the pain is not what you're expecting. Um, and you're overwhelmed for whatever reason. So we talk about what would you do if you show up to the hospital and you're in like major contractions, but you're only two centimeters and they want to send you home. What do you do if you've been pushing for three hours and the baby's not there and they want to use forceps or they want to use a vacuum or they want to do a C-section or they want to start Pitocin? Like, what are your stances on that now? And then I also encourage, don't say yes or no, say um, yes or when. <laughs> Or if there's a hard no, then and it's a hard no. But for a lot of V-backers, they can get to black and white about it. And like, if I get Pitocin, that means it's gonna be like my first birth, mm -hmm. um, which is not always true. So education um, on what they're considering and what the impacts are. Uh, I don't talk about forceps very often um, because it's not a big thing here. It's interesting to me that it is. Usually they're much more quicker to call a C-section. If they're like, sorry, failure to progress, we want to do a C-section, like before they would do a forceps. Because and I don't see a lot like, of- American culture is so ingrained in avoiding a lawsuit. That's probably yes. not doing forceps very often. 100%. We're not, yeah. like, I don't know anybody who's ever sued an OB personally. I, it's, I would love to yeah. know how common it is in the States versus here. 
very common. I don't know the stats, but it's so common that all of our medical malpractice lawsuits um, and protection, I'm sorry, medical malpractice insurance is all wrapped up with like VBAC rules and like, did they get continuous fetal monitoring? Did right. you do this, this, and this? And if you don't follow all of these rules, which sometimes the insurance companies and your insurance lay in. You. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yes. And they're like, sorry, you don't get covered. So yeah, so it blocks a lot of people from getting the VBAC access that they want here. And like, we created the problem because we're, that's a whole other thing, over suing everybody. <laughs> it's kind of the American way. Um, but that is a downfall of it. Um, so in to answer your question more succinctly, we have what's on the table, what, like, what can you live with? Um, it does, would you rather have a C-section or would you rather have Pitocin? And that's an honest question. It really is like, it's not, it's not a threat or anything. Like, would you yeah. rather go through that? Will that be too hard for you to go through Pitocin or would it be easier to just call it at that point? So we try to find some ways if they say absolutely no epidural, I'm like, okay, what if you've been laboring for like 32 hours and you haven't slept, then would an epidural be okay? So we try to pull them a little bit out of their um, expectations. Another activity I do with them is I have them draw their like perfect birth. And then I usually will have like the mom and the dad do like both partners cut, like draw their own version of their perfect birth. And then we share it with each other. And then we circle like what's in their control and what's not in their control until we can kind of get to the the basic understanding of there's very little that's actually in our control except for what we choose to do next based on the scenario that we're in. So just kind of getting people away from this perfect birth has to look like this, but also knowing where their boundaries are. So I think it's totally great for people to go into birth and say, forceps is a boundary for me. Vacuums are a boundary for me. Episiotomies are a boundary for me. And that's okay. It's all to avoid suffering. I, I love that word. Like that is the goal. Like I had a client call me this week who loved her OB, loves her OB, uh -huh. raved about her OB. It was in her 38 week appointment and her OB's like, so we're just going to like put you on the induction list. And she was like, why? And the OB's like, yeah. well, well, I mean, you have high blood pressure. It is managed. She's had high blood pressure for years. It's not even like gestational high blood pressure. That's just yeah. totally controlled. Absolutely fine. Normal for her body. The entire time. The OB's like, well, you're at a high risk for getting preeclampsia, showing no signs. So I just think that we need to get this baby out sooner rather than later. So my client obviously mm -hmm. called me in tears and she actually said, can I choose a cesarean instead of an induction? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very like, common. Very common. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can, you can tell me yeah. that that is what you're leaning towards and have all of the conversations that you need to. And then yeah. ask me the questions too. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Although I do find, I don't know what the induction culture is like there, but there is vast differences over here. So there's the people that use Pitocin responsibly, and then the people that literally turn it up, started at two and crank it up every 30 minutes until the baby's born, despite the evidence of the patient and how they're presenting. And if they show that they're in active labor and that's, what's freaking traumatizing yeah. because we're not made to be that way. So the providers that I direct to are much more responsible. So we also kind of talk it through like, yes, of course you can do a C-section instead of induction, but also your induction, you can have better than that. Like, mm -hmm. and also you can start the induction and then be like, I'm out. Yeah. I don't like this yes. anymore. I, um, I would like to opt out. I talked. <laughs> yeah. No, I was like, you can set a time limit on it. Like mm -hmm. you can say, I'm willing to sit at this centimeter for this long. And then I'm going to want to have a conversation. Yeah. About changing. Like mm -hmm. the options yeah. are so endless for where we can add choice mm -hmm. for people. And yes. not told that. Yeah, um, absolutely. I do think that you guys are a little more intense with the Pitocin usage um, in the United States. I, I have asked a few questions about that, just like chit-chatting with nurses here and, and the midwives. And they've said that their protocol is one going up by one per hour and they cap mm -hmm. out at a max of, is it 20 or 30? Yeah. yeah. Where I've heard stories in the States of it, like 30 and 40. Not usually, but I'm sure <laughs> like the, no doubt in my mind that that is true. Most of the time it's th those two options and to get to 30 in the States would be someone that was a provider that was very focused on helping them get their vaginal birth probably yeah. because more yeah. often than not, they'd be like, oh, we're 16, nothing's happening. Get a C-section. Right. So I would, but 
And I should say, uh, definitely that polarized use. We start at two and sometimes we go up and I've literally heard nurses tell me, I'm because I'll ask them like, so what's the plan with Pitocin? Just to kind of get a sense for what, what their philosophy is. And I have literally heard them say, we'll turn it up every 30 minutes until the baby's out. Wow. And it, that's what traumatizes people during induction. So I teach them, um, you're always in charge. So you're in charge if they start it and you're in charge every single time they want to touch it. And right. you get to check in and say like, you know what? I feel like I've got a good rhythm going on my own here. I'd like to try to kind of get myself clicked over. And I told them the goal is not to get the baby out with Pitocin. The goal is to get active labor initiated. And right. once you're in a good active labor posi- like prog- process, progress, flow, whatever, I can't find the word right now. Um, that's the goal, not just like contract. And with VBAC, there's, it's sensitive because uterine rupture is the risk goes up when you add artificially intense contractions. That's basically the only thing that we have to watch out for is artificially intense contractions, not our normal intense contractions, but like making it that way. So on top of the normal kind of overuse of Pitocin, we have to talk about it at that point with V-backers. Like I said, it's a conversation all the time. Pitocin is widely used here, not only to augment labor, but to induce labor. We do you guys do it after for placentas too. Okay. Yeah, we do that. Um, I rambled. I forgot where I was going. Where was I going? (laughs) Oh, that's okay. I have more questions for you. <laughs> so, okay, let's do it. I don't even think I've got to my list yet, actually. But anyway, oh, uh, we yeah. have 15 minutes left, so we're left. So we're gonna try and go as fast as we can. Yeah. Um, I want to ask Rapid you fire. a personal question. Um, as a doula, I feel like we talk to doulas about the fact that we bring our personal stories and our biases to our doula work. Mm-hmm. Um, neither Laura or I have had a C-section before. I'm wondering for you, when you meet with someone who's never had a baby, um, what do you feel like your bias is when you're having a conversation with someone? Or what do you think that you bring bring to the table um, when you're meeting with someone for the first time who hasn't had a se- section or like just brand new, fresh? Yeah, good question. So one of the things I, I trained VBAC pros, like I told you, um, I even trained one in Canada. I was really excited. Now I get to say I'm international basically. Um, I know. So when I trained VBAC pros, when we have like a whole section dedicated to not bleeding all over your patients with your own stuff. A lot of times VBAC doulas, people that advertise themselves as VBAC doulas, are angry because of the way that they've been treated. And that anger has given them the passion to go try and fix the world, but they haven't healed the part of themselves that needed to be healed before they help other people. Yes. So one of the things I talked to them about is we are, have a responsibility in our platform not to further traumatize people uh, by bleeding all over them our own issues. And so I'm actually very, it's hard for me sometimes to tell my birth story because I've been so, I've trained myself not to share it unless people ask. And I feel like there's something relevant about my story that could make them feel less alone. But I train my people that you don't have to have had a C-section in order to be an expert at VBAC. Sometimes just interviewing with someone and saying, I'm so passionate about VBAC that I've gone on and got all these other um, certifications and trainings to make sure I can specialize there. That I think is just as powerful as saying, I too had a C-section because uh, there's a lot of work that goes into having your own birth stuff and then helping other people. You just have to clear it all out. So like I said, I I do a lot. I've done a lot of trauma therapy. I've had to do EMDR from births before. Um, I've seen uterine ruptures and babies dying and it's messy. It's a hard world to support. And so if, if you're not at a base level, I think comfortable with healing yourself and making sure that you're healed enough to be helping other people without um, spreading your sadness or your, your story. That's not favorable or not how it has to be for everybody else. Um, there's a way to do that. So I keep my story out of it unless they ask. Um, I only share if I feel like it's going to help them. And then another big thing is VBAC doulas, I don't even want to paint that. Sometimes when people are like VBAC renegades, they can make people that didn't even know to feel bad about their cesarean, feel bad about their cesarean. And I hate that. I hate it because it's not about that. Um, It's just re-traumatizing people. So it really is, it's a tough area to make sure that we're supportive. We're not just like staying in the victim mode. 
I have a lot to say about that. Um, I've been in some organizations and nonprofits that it seems like it was a bunch of angry women um, mad about C-sections and I felt like it wasn't making good progress in the community. So when you're, you don't work as a doula currently? No. No. Okay. Well, various, I have like one client a year just to keep myself fresh. Right. Or um, like I just had one recently. <laughs> yeah. I do. Yeah. She was a second H back and okay. it was so beautiful. Oh, oh, like, those I, are, so those are a different beast. Yeah. Like yeah. we have <laughs> one, one midwifery clinic that will not do that. And then the other four. Mm. Yeah. Is it hard oh, to find HVAC friendly midwives? No, not anymore in Phoenix, but it is in other areas. Okay. Um, so each state has their own midwifery association usually, and they have their own kind of rules and regulations. For a while, one of our limitations was if you had a C-section for failure to progress, you weren't eligible to go with a midwife. But like you ask in any C-section group, like what was your reason for C-section? Everyone's like, failure to progress. Like it's yes. very, like I said, we're C-section happy country. Right. So uh, we got that changed and now um, midwives, both CNMs and what we call CPMs, certified nurses and professionals can attend each box. Nice. So I totally um, jump tracks on you guys. No, that's, <laughs> no, that's great. Um, have, so in your work as a doula, were you only taking on clients who were having VBACs? Mostly, but I wasn't, I didn't totally limit myself to that. Sometimes I've had a, a big urge to help a first time yeah. birther um, avoid that first C-section. Yeah. So I kind of balanced between that. Although um, sometimes those were easier than the V-backs. So what I found was first I jumped right into V-backs and I was supporting only V-backs. And it was such an emotional toll. Those births just take more out of you because yes. Yes. Of, I'm with them so much on everything that's hard about it. And like you said, every it's not just the normal stuff of pushing out a baby. It's that moment by moment fight that you're you're progressing along the right curve. So you're not gonna be asked for a C-section that it's just all of that. Um, oh gosh, I, I think I've been talking too much. So I'm like losing track of the questions. Well, that's okay. I, I guess what I'm trying to get to is like, when, when you're meeting with, um, a client for the first time, if it's a first time birther, is that a different conversation for you than okay. when it's VBAC? Because I feel like if someone's listening to this podcast, who is, who I've has never had a baby or is pregnant. Yeah. First baby. Um, this mm -hmm. to me sounds like I don't Scary. even want to get pregnant. Yeah. Like it sounds so oh, yeah. to think like, wow, I didn't realize I had to meet all these markers and, and manage all these things and make all these decisions. And it feels like the antithesis of believing like, you know what, my body, which I think is our bias, mm -hmm. my, you know, our bodies are these physiological wonders who will have babies on their own. Like, you know, animals don't go through any prenatal classes and training. They just, but I mean, obviously we know they don't have to get out of their own heads like we do. And they don't have to unlearn right. Hollywood that we have to unlearn. So there's the caveat. Yes. But I guess what I'm wondering, so true. Like, when I was asking about your biases and I realized this is a hard yeah. question, but like, it, is it, difficult for you to hold back and not like you're saying land and bleed all this knowledge you have onto someone um and is that a, is it a different interview is it a different conversation is it a different prenatal visit yeah so um i I don't want to toot my own horn here, uh, but I feel like yeah, I've done a lot of it. Love love <laughs> toot, toot. <laughs> toot, toot. So that good. has been a focus for me because I observed early on all of the biases that I noticed in the VBAC community. Um, I was always sad for when I saw um, someone that was really pro VBAC and like eyes open surely about all the dysfunction of the OB world that gets their hands on like a fresh first time birther that's like all bright eyed and excited for what's going to happen. And they're like, oh, you're going to watch out for this and this and this. And it doesn't have to be that way. But the way those interviews look different for me, and I guess this is what remains the same. I am an expert in avoiding C-sections and promoting births that you feel good about afterward. Um, and I'm uniquely qualified to help with VBACs because we have so many feelings going into it and we want to avoid a C-section. But those two things also work for first-time birthers, especially in our country, because one in three is a C-section. So just simply being an expert in avoiding C-sections um, helps 
the community because we know the, what causes us, um, what is that? How do I say that right? The number one cause of C-sections is that it's a scheduled C-section because there was a pri prior C-section. It's kind of word yeah. jungle, but you get what I mean. So yeah. I explained to them, even though I specialize in VBAC, it's totally applicable to you because I know what it feels like to birth when you're really scared and afraid of what's going to happen and you want to avoid a C-section. And that's pretty universal. That brings up a question that I want to talk about. So I'm finding with a lot of VBAC clients that we're often who they reach out to first because they've found mm -hmm. us on Instagram and we have inspired them in a way. And then they go to have the conversation with their provider, OB or midwife. And that first conversation sets the tone of their confidence going into their VBAC. There's a percentage of people that do go damn the man and really mm -hmm. get fired up. But a lot of women are people pleasers. And as soon as they know that their care provider is not on board, especially for an HBAC, even though their clinic provides it, a specific midwife may have an experience that they're reflecting on and they, they are not 100% supportive of HVACs. How do you talk people yeah. that when your provider's not supportive? Are yeah. you like switch supporters and switch provider immediately or? And I feel like this is so like this is maybe a Canadian US thing maybe. too, in the sense that like you guys have insurance, you have it's a bit more of a business model here. Obviously, it's a business model too, but OHIP, like our our province um, medical care provides. So I mean, especially with the midwife example, yeah. you might be scared that like if I give up on this midwife, I'm not going to get a midwife because they're in shortage. So then I'm going to have to have an OB, and then you know it, I actually you know there's not yeah. as much yeah. choice. Yeah, multi layered. That is a little different. Um, it's a good thing to like think about with like medical care across the country because we always fight for that. But I've heard that that can be a downfall is that you can't choose your providers yes. um, like we can here. Yeah. So what we know is that your provider is the number one thing that uh, suggests whether you'll get a vaginal birth or a C-section rate. So understanding your provider's history, their C-section rates, their, their policies on things like induction and gestational length, and they treat VBACs any differently. It is very common for people to go to a provider and then they're handed oh, that godforsaken like consent form that's like, if you have a C-section, everything's fine. If you have a vaginal birth, everyone may die. <laughs> it's like, that's what it feels like, which is just so silly. Um, Cause it's, it's anyway, I, I won't go there, but what I do is I explain to them what they're up against. So before they even go to their OB or after, if, if they are talking to me after meeting with their OB and they're like, I just feel unsure, like I was good going into it, but then they said this and this, this and this, and I'm scared. Very common, very common for partners too. So sometimes the mom is like, okay, I get it. I've been doing the research, but the, the partner's like, but shouldn't we just listen to the doctor and schedule a C-section? Cause that's what they're saying is safer. So I deal with this a lot um, with both partners and people that have talked to their OB and gotten discouraged. So I tell them what's normal and that the things that their OB is saying are normal. We see providers like that. And then I just try to educate them that there are providers that don't enforce those kind of limitations. And here's why, here's the evidence behind why that's not the right protocol. And it's hard, but that's where I talked about the very beginning. You have to teach them that it's safe before they can do anything else. If they don't really believe leave you that it's safe, which I wish I could just like take out that piece and give it to people to like eat and have in their body. It's safe. It's, it's not crazy or radical. Like people are recommending it everywhere, but, um, we still get that feeling like we're signing up for something that's like radical and scary. Uh, so I just talked them through it what stood out to you. And then we literally talk about the evidence because I have that on my side. <laughs> so I'm like, what are you afraid of? Okay. Let's talk about the actual risk of that happening. And now let's talk about what they want to do and the risks associated with that. All right. What questions do you have? Um, like you said, I can never tell people what to do. Another thing that is hard with being a VBAC doula that I train my VBAC pros is wanting VBAC more than your client wants VBAC. Right. And sometimes it's so hard, isn't it? Oh, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. But sometimes this is where like my healing and training comes through. 
I know that I'm not an expert on anybody else's life journey. And it would be um, arrogant of me to think that I have to save them from something that they want to do. I have no idea what their life journey is or what they need to learn so that they can help someone else later or get through something personally. So all I focus on is giving people the information and people can count on me. I, I lay this really straight up front. I will tell the truth and I will tell you point blank what the evidence says, but my number one goal is to make sure that you feel good. So my goal is to make sure that you can do what you feel like you need to do and have the information behind it. So, um, but it's so big. The bias with feedback support can be big. Yeah. Totally. What are some of the stats on you? You mentioned in the United States, yeah. one in three people are, are first-time birthers are having a C-section. Um, so then for that second birth, what is the percentage um, of VBACs after? after a cesarean uh how many people are going for VBAC or like you're, saying, you're asking the success rate the success rate of VBAC yeah like I heard a stat this morning that said something that along the lines of 80 percent of people who have a first c-section have a second c-section mm. and I'd oh, never that's heard, probably very true I'd yeah. never heard yes. that before and so oh, yeah I, I yeah I didn't realize it was that high and that's what I we so, say that and I was like oh no no and then, then I heard it and I was like, oh, I guess that's what he's referring to. Like, it's hard to get out of that track, which yeah. is why you exist. Yes. Right, Jenny? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Until it's, until it's more normal <laughs> for sure. And then people are like, we know Jenny, shut up about VBACs. <laughs> so what we know is, um, 13% of people are going for VBAC, which means oh. <laughs> what is that? 77%. 87, 87% are going for another C-section. Okay. Um, and that, that goes lower and lower based on like, last I checked, it was 7% for VBAC after two, but I know COVID impacted that. COVID impacted VBAC rates significantly oh, because people couldn't have their support person there. We were limiting doulas. Yeah. Um, people weren't sure like who could be in and who couldn't be. If someone was sick, all the rules change. And so a lot of people were birthing without doulas and a lot of people were scheduling c-sections to make it easier because they didn't know who would be sick who wouldn't be able to be there so it really changing so we have a very low take rate but a high success rate you're 80 percent of v-backers are successful we're much more successful statistically than first-time birthers even because we know what's up we know the pitfalls that's, That's where cool. I confused myself. Yeah. So I was like, wait a second. It is actually like all I would say. Yeah. I would say 80% of our VBAC clients have had successful yeah. VBACs. And yeah. then, so then I was so yeah. confused when he was saying this about 80%, but that you've totally make, made that make sense. Thank you. Good. Um, yeah. It's very successful when we go for it, but a very small it. amount of people are going for it. Okay. Education. Okay. <laughs> Spread Let's the news. Let's wrap up here and tell us where people can find you. What are some things that you offer? Um, and then we'll end off with, if you could have a billboard, what would you put on it? Okay. I'll try and think about that while I talk. Okay. Really excited. I just reformatted what VBAC Academy offers. So now I offer VBAC 101, which is for parents. Uh, it's a 90 minute, I call crash course on the fundamentals of the safety, a little bit about the history. So they understand why it feels so radical. And then we talk about uh, what's the myths behind uterine rupture? What does it look like? Just kind of take all of the mystery out of it. And then we talk about stats and then like a whole half of the lesson is dedicated on how to birth in your right mind and how to have a wholehearted birth is what I call it. Then I offer VBAC uh, 201, which is for birth professionals that want to specialize in VBAC. So a lot of the same content, except for there's more, um, there's more focus on how to treat each stage of the client journey differently. So how do you interview with them? How do you support them prenatally? How do you show up differently at the birth? How do you show up differently at the postpartum? Because each one is absolutely unique for me and how I treat my VBACers throughout that journey. Um, I'm starting a VBAC 301 class, which is going to be for advocates that aren't pregnant planning a VBAC, aren't birth professionals out in the world, but feel really strongly about VBAC. And so that's going to have uh, like letter bundles and things like that that can send to local OBs and hospitals that share what other people are doing across the world and why this is normal. And we have seen a big business increase whenever 
I help an OB business be more VBAC friendly, the whole community flocks to them. So I'm trying to like tie in together, like this is good for business too. Um, and then uh, VBAC 401 is for trainers. A lot of times I get people that want to teach VBAC classes. So um, there's a track for people that want to go on and teach in their communities. I also offer a gentle C-section 101 class for people that know that they want to have a C-section or need to have a C-section. I have, here's how you can do this in a more birth centered way. So you can feel like you had a birth, not a surgery or an operation. Uh, you can find me at VBAC Academy on Instagram. It does link to Facebook, but I'm, I'm mostly, it's all, it's all from Instagram. Um, is there anything else? Oh, I'm getting ready to launch letters that people can use, that parents can use. You're kind of saying like, how do we have these conversations with my provider? Um, I'm going to launch a couple letters that people can customize that basically say like, I'm really interested in doing this. Here's what I found about like why it's supportive. Like, um, I'm really interested in how you feel about these things and kind of walks them through how to have that conversation with their OB. So, and big, 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 big focus on wholehearted birth, which is yeah. I think just the most important is helping people feel good during and after birth, especially in such a turbulent VBAC birth. So yeah. thank yeah. you guys so much for having me. It's so good yeah, talking to you guys billboard. about VBAC Oh, billboard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I got this. I got this. Hold on. Gosh, I, I feel like this is not going to be very poetic, but I feel like I would put something like, stop being so dramatic about VBACs <laughs> or something like that. I because, feel like you can have a sub, a sub portion that would say D cells are normal. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like that's my, I'm data driven. And so when I have seen so much research and support for why this is normal, that's my, my, it's my number one thing. I have to remember that not everyone has come to that conclusion to really walk them through it. But I'm just like, feedback is safe. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> like, I duh. want like, to oh. <laughs> like scratch the previous information so that that care provider doesn't even know that they've had a section. And then we yeah. just walk in like someone who hasn't had a baby right. before. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure right. talking to you. Thank you so much. You are so Likewise. wise. I love, yeah. love this. This has been great. I'm so glad we rescheduled so, so that I could be here. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, it's so good. Thank you. And I love what you guys do. I really liked your post this morning. Um, Sarah about, hasn't seen it. it was, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, which one is it? She approves. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to pull it up before we close so I can tell you how much I loved it because I've just been seeing all this other things. Um, your birth does not define you. Oh, oh yeah. such a big message for VBackers. Yeah. Um, such a big message. So I'm so excited to watch what you guys do. And I always shout you guys out too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Thanks so much for your time, Jenny. Yeah, you guys have a good rest of your day. Happy uh, puppy parenthood. Thank you. <laughs> Laura. <laughs> yeah. right, bye. We would just love it if you would take the time to leave us a five-star rating, a review. If you'd subscribe to our show, you can screenshot it while you're listening to us and even share it on the gram. Remember, you are important too. Disclaimer, we are not medical professionals. Everything said here is our own opinion and not to be taken as medical advice. We do not take any responsibility from the outcomes of you taking our advice. Please seek medical advice from your trusted healthcare professionals.